This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good evening, and welcome to The Late Show on Teachers Talk Radio with me, Tom Rogers. Again, another pack show tonight. I've got Rose Everton Rose. The primary school teacher who runs a successful YouTube channel for Everton fans. And in the second half of the show, I've got an explosive head-to-head between Daniel Buck and Chris Stewart over the chalkboard review suspension. It's all coming up in the next 90 minutes. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, everybody, and good evening to you. Good evening to those people who are joining us live on the Podbean app, and good evening to everybody who is joining us over on Twitter and LinkedIn and YouTube and all our other uh, social media sites. Uh, Wonderful show uh, that we've got for you this evening. We've got a whole selection of of guests, two big topics. The first topic is really for anybody who's looking to develop a teacher side hustle, anybody who is looking to develop uh, maybe a different part to to their teaching repertoire or something they can do in their spare time to enhance their their career or or to to you know just a different approach and i thought that one of the things i was interested in was teachers who had successful youtube channels so what better than to bring my friend rose on who rose is a very successful uh uh youtuber she would probably say she's not very successful but i am saying she's very successful uh based on the, not not just based on the number of subscribers she's got, but also the, the the level of interaction she gets on her YouTube channel. She does have a fan club. She's she's brilliant, right? So we're going to be talking to Rose in a minute. I'll bring her in 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 a few in a few minutes time, hopefully. But later on in the show, so that's the first half, and I'm going to be asking Rose about her journey through through her career um, in terms of how she um, ended up. I guess in teaching and then obviously uh, to set up this YouTube channel and how she kind of gets on with it and how she does it and and how that's gone for her. So and and obviously it's grown and grown. It's got more and more successful. Um and it's it's yeah, I think she's got like three and a half thousand subscribers or something on there now, which is absolutely fantastic and mental. Um and then in the second half of the show, I've got Daniel Book and Chris Stewart. Now, <clears throat> some of you may be aware, but possibly not that um, a few days ago, maybe three or four days ago, there's a site called Chalkboard Review. And um, Chalkboard Review is like um, considered to be a conservative uh, kind of uh, network in the United States. And um, essentially, they their account got suspended. Their account actually got shut down in the US um, by Twitter. It's been reinstated now, but I know that many of the people who run the account, their accounts are still actually suspended. So it's been a bit of a mess for them. And I've got the editor-in-chief of Chalkboard Review in the US, Daniel Book, who I interviewed literally two days ago. It's a pre-recorded interview. And when when Daniel Book um, produced a video to talk about the uh, the end of what he thought might be the end of Chalkboard Review, he received lots of comments. And one of the comments was basically um, celebrating the end of Chalkboard Review uh, by a tweeter called Chris. And I thought, you know what? What better than to get Chris on the show as well to talk about why he tweeted at Daniel Book in such a in such a way. 
So following the Daniel Book interview, I've also then got uh, Chris on to explain his tweet to Daniel Book to explain why he chose to actually tweet it. Um, so it's a pretty explosive combo, really. Um, now, we might switch the order around because I know that, that Rose has had a few kind of Wi-Fi difficulties. So what I might do is go to those interviews first with Daniel and with uh, Chris, and then we'll come back to Rose maybe later on if she can reconnect. Um, but it's not a problem. We're going to go with Daniel and with Chris. We'll listen to them. We'll talk about this chalkboard review episode. I hope you're going to enjoy this. Um, I know I did. I know I really enjoyed recording the interviews and and listening to what these two gentlemen had to say. Um, it was it was a lot of a lot of fun recording this, and I'm very topical as well because uh, as it stands, the two main people responsible for the account they still have their accounts barred uh, on social media. So I'm going to go over to the interview now. Uh, enjoy it. Sit back. And uh, yeah, and let me know what your thoughts are. You've got two very contrasting views coming up. Hi, everyone, and I'm delighted to welcome uh, Daniel Book to Teachers Talk Radio. Uh, I got in touch with Daniel after events today regarding Chalkboard Review. Uh, Daniel is the editor-in-chief of Chalkboard Review. He's also a teacher of English language. Just English language? I think just English language. Uh, mm -hmm. In the United States, from Wisconsin. And I've asked Daniel on to the show today to discuss recent events, most notably the closure or the suspension of various accounts associated with Chalkboard Review. Now, before... Yeah, it's been, a, been a wild time. Yeah. So um, before I ask your reaction on it, Daniel, let me just read you a short kind of summary of, of what's gone on so our listeners understand what's happened. Um, this is from the nationalreview.com. Mm -hmm. They've written a short article here, and it says the chalkboard review abruptly had its Twitter account suspended on Thursday. In addition to the account suspension, the personal account of Samuel Bravo, who helps run the review social media, was also suspended. Tony Kinnett, the publication's co-founder and executive director, suggested in an interview with the National Review that the social media company's actions could be connected to a letter that Twitter received from the National Education Association, the country's largest teaching union in October. In that letter, the president of that teaching union, Becky Pringle, brought, quote, the alarming growth of a small but violent group of radicalized adults who falsely believe that graduate level courses about racism are being taught in K-12 public schools to the attention of public, uh, to, to the attention, she brought that to the attention of, of social media companies. And she said that it was putting the safety of our children educators and families at risk before finishing with where is the urgency from the very companies that have helped fuel the conspiracies causing attacks now through this kind of letter uh there is also mention of uh anti uh anti mandatory mask policies anti covid policies in general uh maybe some anti-vax stuff uh anti-critical race theory they're the kind of things that, that kind of are coming through here as to why this suspension may have happened. But I thought I'd ask you, Daniel, why has Chalkboard Review been suspended? I wish I could give an explanation. Um, that's what people keep asking me. Well, what, what set it off? What set it off? Twitter won't tell us. Um, and uh, I mean, we are a, we are a nonpartisan publication. Um, a lot of the people on our team are conservative, yes, but we have a lot of like center lefties on the team too. 
um, and we publish stuff from across the spectrum. So I was about to say that we have had things that are controversial, but they're not even that controversial. They're just in education, um, we say things that people sometimes disagree with because we want to publish hetero heterodox ideas um, that kind of push the Overton window a little bit. Can, can you explain window. those phrases? Because Yes. So the Overton window is a phrase that it refers to kind of like what is acceptable to be discussed. Um, and for us in when I say heterodox, I mean, you know, teachers that support things like charter schools, I think free schools are what they'd be called in Britain, school choice. Um, you know, nowadays in America, it's uh, heterodox as a teacher to say that uh, suspensions might still have a place in the school, that all students should read Shakespeare. These are kind of controversial opinions to have. Um, I agree with some of them. I don't agree with others. I publish things that I vehemently disagree with. Um, so those are some of the heterodox ideas that we run. Um, they're out of the mainstream of American education at this point, but I don't think anyone would consider them worthy of cancellation. Um, and then back to the original question about why are we banned, you know, we've asked Twitter and they just were silent all of last night. We got no responses. We just, one of our team members woke up and tried to log on to share the article for the day. Um, and our account was suspended. And then we got no word from them, no explanation for what tweet was offending or what tweet, uh, you know, broke Twitter rules. And then two, three other people on our team also lost their account. And only this morning, our main account is back up, but still no explanation from Twitter for why it came down. We just got a, you know, basically, oops, sorry, it was an, an accident. We reviewed it and found that you weren't actually in violation of any of our rules. Because um, again, we push a bit against the grain of mainstream American education, but like, we're not crazy people. <laughs> <laughs> We're not pushing conspiracy theories or anything like that. Yeah. So, so, I mean, let's go back to kind of the beginning here. I mean, mm -hmm. presumably there was some reason that you set up chalkboard review. There was some motivating factor um, there. You've mentioned that, that, that there are people within the executive team or within the organization of chalkboard review who you would consider to be conservative. Maybe there are a few on the center left, but I'm guessing predominantly maybe conservative thinkers. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering why you decided to set this up initially. Um, it was a message from a teacher, um, from a fellow teacher who was a first or second year teacher and she now uh, works for us. Uh, but it was about two years ago, a uh, year and a half, I think it was like two years ago now. Um, so I've been writing about education for a while uh, I write for Fordham Institute, I write for National Review, um, and it's just, you know, whatever's trending in the news, whatever comes to mind, um, and very often, again, it goes against the uh, predominant ideas, um, you know, I'm pushing, I think, teachers should run the classroom and set expectations, I don't mind, desks in rows, things like that, uh, and uh, another young teacher reached out and asked, are, like, you're the only voice I know in American education that's saying these right of center things. Are there any others, uh, anybody else I can read? And I, I realized they're, I mean, they're out there, but there's not a lot of them. And I wanted to find a spot where all of these people kind of from the center left to the red right um, 
had a space where they could write. And then as I kept thinking about this idea, you know, I could write about a trending issue for national review in education or some hot take, but mainstream educations aren't looking for the nerdy analysis of pedagogy and instruction in curriculum design and that kind of stuff. So I personally, I just wanted a spot to write about those kinds of things too, not just trending policy debates and things like that. I mean, I wondered because obviously the, the letter that was sent from the union last year um, highlighted, well, I've mentioned it already, but we, we've got things like the COVID mandates that have come into force in school. I wondered, I wondered what, two parts of this question really is, is A, what your personal views are on the COVID mandates that have been in place, for example, compulsory mask policies. Um, you know, I don't know exactly what's gone on in the United States, but in Britain, we've had, you know, um, kind of remote learning at various points introduced. We've had mask mandates at various points. We've had, uh, there's lots of different, lots of different um, restrictions, you might say, uh, to kind of educate, applied to education. And I wonder what, A, your views on, your personal views are on that, mm -hmm. and B, the kind of consensus from chalkboard review on that, and whether you felt, feel that, that there is a, I guess, a, a kickback, a get from, maybe there is a, is there a worry, I suppose is what I'm asking, in terms of a kind of an anti-vax or anti you know we've seen what happened with joe rogan we've seen all those different things is there a concern that within the education domain it's a similar kind of thing you know they don't want to see false i'm going to put in, in inverted commas here because you you might not consider them to be false but false narratives about vaccines or the effectiveness of vaccines or the effectiveness of restrictions or the effectiveness of mass policies or the effectiveness of the effectiveness of that are mm -hmm. our, our governments and people concerned about undermining that? Yeah. So my opinions on it all, um, funny you should ask, is tomorrow I have an article coming out about masking kids. Um, I think at this point the evidence has come in that masking in schools is largely ineffective. If it is, and that statement is suspect, uh, at this point, it doesn't outweigh the costs for literacy development. You know, the fact that kids rely on being able to see the mouth and pronounce words along with teachers to learn their phonics and things like that. So I have an article coming out tomorrow that um, I take the mask off kids. Uh, I, I was a proponent of mask wearing in the beginning. Um, and if a store asks me to, I will. At this point, I'm not going to be a jerk about it. Um, if anything, I think they tend to be more effective with adults, but it seems like kids just aren't the vector of this disease, nor are they particularly at risk for it. Uh, so masking kids, uh, I mean, I'm against it. Vaccines, I got vaccinated, um, and I think they're effective, and I think they're the most uh, useful and powerful tool we have against this disease. Mandates, I'm ambiguous about. Uh, I know vaccine, other vaccines are required for public school attendance, but it's just so fast. And I, I think I tentatively disagree with the people who are against, you know, vaccine requirements for attending public schools. Let me say that in a more clear way. Um, 
I think I'm tentatively for requiring vaccines for attendance at public education, but not yet. It's just so fast and I get people's hesitancy with it. And I don't think, you know, getting a vaccine for yourself is one thing, but um, compelling a child to get vaccinated or your own is just a little bit different. There's a, there's a different risk there. You know, I even thought about that with my own daughter. Like I got vaccinated. She's like a little baby. Um, so she's not vaccinated yet. And she's still, you know, anyways, um, getting antibodies for mom, but I just, I get it. Um, chalkboard review. I mean, we have people across the board there. This is one issue that we are truly ecumenical about, um, from people who are, against vaccine mandates to people who are for them. Um, you know, a few members haven't been vaccinated and a lot of us have been vaccinated. And this is one that's, it's an issue that's so fresh that I still think it's worth debating. Uh, Joe Rogan made a really good point in his, his video on Instagram where he kind of addressed some of the controversy around his stuff where um, issues that a year ago you were considered a conspiracy theorist for thinking them uh, nowadays are mainstream, just the idea that there's a potential for the lab leak theory. Once upon a time, you were a conspiracy theory if you thought that. And now it's like, well, maybe, I don't know, we'll never know. But that's a possibility. It is a possibility. It's it's a thought that you are allowed to express. Um, so these are issues that I'm going to publish things across the board on them, just, you know, so long as they're not written from prison in crayon or something like that. <laughs> if it's well argued um, and it links to real evidence not um, a kook or a crazy person, then I'll run it. Um, I care more about well-made arguments than um, if I agree with them or not. And then your last question, oh, is there, is there worry about pushback? I don't know. The, the, everything about the union, I mean, that's all speculation. It's certainly suspicious, uh, but we have no evidence of it. Um, and I mean, our most like not quite anti-vax, but our closest to anti-vax person isn't one of the ones who got suspended. So I don't think it's about that. Because um, yeah. if that if that were about it, she would have been one of the the staff members who lost her account. But it's not her. Now on on, on the website as well, and and this is mentioned in the article um, that that on on chalkboard review there is a toolkit. I'm quoting here from the article. There is a toolkit for parents and teachers to fight back against the introduction of critical race theory into k-12 curricula now i wondered what that was can you explain because i'll be totally honest with you i'm ignorant to what this is or what this toolkit is or why mm -hmm. it exists so maybe you can give us some background on that and whether you feel that that might be a reason for the suspension i mean it's mostly a lot of it uh, we had, that was a big project for us and all of us were helping out with it and i mean the the aspect that i undertook was I just read hundreds of pages of critical race theory and put, you know, what does Gloria Ladson Billings have to say? What does Derek Bell have to say? What does Kimberly Crenshaw have to say? What is all of these critical race theorists, you know, a summary of their ideas and some, you know, flags, some quotes from them. And we got a few essays from, oh, it's been forever now. And I wasn't the one who set this up. This was Tony Kinnett was the one who kind of spearheaded this. We got essays from a few different think tanks and a few different thinkers to include on there. And I mean, it's critical of critical race theory, but we try to be as fair as possible and engage with the academic definition of critical race theory. Again, speculation, maybe, um, but until I get 
we get some word from Twitter, we probably won't, but I don't want to say the unions did this when I don't actually have any evidence of that. Is it suspicious? Yes. Um, but it's not like they sent us a tweet and said, you know, your sharing of this CRT toolkit is the reason that we suspended your account. So it's, it's hard to say. Um, I mean, that's what they so, so it, it, it may yourself um, uh, tweeted out a video uh, yesterday about uh, and, and, and you, you said, I guess ideological diversity isn't allowed in education, presumably referring to what we've just discussed in this interview in terms of, you know, the feeling that you, you think perhaps people to the right of centre particularly aren't necessarily welcome in on, on Twitter, maybe from an education standpoint. I know there's another bit in there about um, this idea, and you'll have to explain this to me, something about homeschooling. There's, there's something there about the that that you have been or or that chalkboard review has maybe pushed content that suggests that uh, uh correct me if i'm wrong here because i'm just i'm ignorant to a lot of it but suggests that homeschooling could be an option for parents who want to take their children away from being i don't know to to paraphrase brainwashed um by by um, things like critical race theory or, or whatever right or or other things yeah is, is uh, that is that a fair summary summation or are you pro homeschooling as an organization and as an alternative to people being yeah. in schools is that what people's problem is i mean you tell me i don't know i'm just reading on twitter what yeah, some people I, are saying um in we have i think there's a big difference a cultural difference that we need to bridge here where homeschooling is I mean, it's not the norm by any means in uh, America, but it's a much bigger phenomenon in America than it is in Britain. Am I wrong there? I think I, from what I've read, there's much more homeschooling going on in, in the US than there is in Britain, but it has grown over the pandemic period. A mm -hmm. lot of, there is a lot more homeschooling going on in Britain now than there the probably was before the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, I have taught, in public schools, I've taught in private schools. I were probably before my time is done as a teacher, teaching a charter school. Um, I support good education wherever it happens. And I think homeschooling is a very good option for a lot of people. Uh, it's, is it called the two sigma problem where, you know, of all the models of education, one-to-one -one tutoring just blows all the rest out of the water. Um, and I, I mean, that's kind of what homeschooling accomplishes. I'm an advocate of school choice. So the money follows the kid, we fund the student, and then if they choose to go to a charter school or public school or home school or micro school or online school, whatever it is, that's where their resources go. Um, and I totally support families choosing to homeschool. I've considered homeschooling my daughter. I mean, that's like five years out. So who knows if that would actually happen. Um, it's not like, I don't think homeschool your child is a realistic universal policy but i don't think it's bad advice either if that's what works for families so i know that's kind of like a roundabout answer to your question or a non-answer to your question but it's i mean i i why do, people, schools... what, why do you think that people on the right in in the us as an example and again correct me if i'm wrong why do people on the right like the idea of charter schools why is it particularly popular on the right um uh, big 
So, I mean, the, the right in America is a weird conglomeration of people and they don't always see eye to eye. In fact, they sometimes disagree on absolutely everything. But one of the ideas that kind of links us all is the idea of subsidiarity. We should push the decision-making as low down and as local as possible. Um, and I like charter schools because they have a little more free schools because they have a little more freedom to respond to local needs, to respond to what parents and students are looking for, to do what teachers want. Uh, you know, a, a woman that I used to work with across the hall from me in this big district school, very bureaucratic school, she and I were good friends, but we disagreed on everything about education and how we wanted to run our classroom. And our school had this weird hodgepodge linking together like my preference for a teacher centric, you know, classical literature approach and her workshop model kids pick the books approach and it was just this awful hodgepodge of both and did neither of them well. Versus if you have a charter school if we had two different schools in our district, or you know we had four high schools, and each one had a little more freedom to to wiggle about and do things differently then she and I could both be happy. Right, we'd have a school like a no excuses charter school like a Michaela type school in London and then a project based learning kids do what they want. Progress like Rousseau Dewey and progressive school across town and both of us could be happy and then we wouldn't have to. Uh, force yeah I'll, I, i'm just gonna keep rambling if I keep talking yeah no that, that's great I mean I was gonna ask you. I suppose to, to, to kind of challenge that. Mm -hmm. Could you say, well, hang on a minute, in the United States, there are, if, if we give more freedom on a local level, will we have more schools teaching uh, creationism uh, as gospel? Uh, will we have more schools who are perhaps, I don't know, advocating, I think, you know, I'm being a bit extreme here and I'm making yeah, no, I from my, it's, it's from my Anglo, right. from my Anglo thing here, I'm saying, will we have some schools that are quite pro uh uh, guns and gun, mm -hmm. you know pro gun laws will we uh, within the curriculums will we have schools that are uh very yeah i don't know very kind of shall we say much more right wing than probably anything you'd find in britain if mm -hmm. we localize in the united states yeah i think there much. are two answers i think there are two answers to that uh Providing more freedom doesn't necessarily mean you have no boundaries or no barriers. You know, we could set up uh, a base curriculum, especially at lower grades, that is required to be followed. I'd much prefer that, you know, at a state level or not a federal government level, especially considering America's ginormous. Um, so you could have some base curriculum, you could have some base regulation, you know, if the kids aren't meeting a base level of literacy, then the state can still intervene. Like there, there is a regulatory structure you could build around this that would keep the, the fringes in. And then also the second response is just because these five people, or not five people, but this small community of people is going to do something wrong, that's then not a justification to sanction or compel somebody elsewhere that's trying to do something right. Um, and again, I think that's where the light regulation and base expectations comes in. Some, some amount of standardized testing still, 
to make sure like, if a school isn't teaching kids to read, sorry, you don't get to be a school anymore. It, it, it doesn't mean you get to do whatever you want. Got you, got you. I, I mean, one of the one of the comments on your tweet from last night, I'd like to read it out to you actually, um, just so you can kind of respond to it however you wish. Mm -hmm. um, because you know some of the responses to the response uh, were quite condemning of, the, of this reply to you. But there was a tweet here that says, um, it's really shocking to see self-described libertarians support top-down speech codes, memory laws, and citizen snitch hotlines to thwart the local control of schools. Um, what's your response to that? I don't, I saw that tweet and there's been a big long ongoing argument underneath it. And I have been teaching school uh, all morning. And, you know, I was late to this call because I was uh, talking with students after work. So I haven't actually followed that argument. So like, I don't, again, I'm not trying to give a non-answer, but I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> it just seems like a lot of angry related ideas thrown together and thrown at me. And I haven't really responded to it because I'm not sure the point he's trying to make. Do you know what point he's trying to make? Because I will respond to it if I can, but it's- I'll be totally like, honest. I was going to, I was, I was going to ask you what speech codes meant, um, what memory laws were and what, yeah, what citizen snitch hotlines are. I'm, I'm guessing what he means by the citizen snitch thing is the idea that the parents would call, would, would, um, hmm. would call up and say, this was taught to my children to presumably, well, not chalkboard review, but you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, a, a, a organization that would, would, would be sympathetic towards that. And then they would publish it and it would be almost like a, you know, like a, like a, this is what's going on in the school and, and almost like school shaming, I suppose. Is a, that's, that's the kind of implication I get from that. I'd mm -hmm. have to ask him what he means by that. Cause I, I'm not sure the other two things I don't, no, I was hoping you might know what he meant by top-down speech codes and memory laws. Mm -hmm. um, so we're talking. But you don't about... feel you need to respond to it because I, you know, I'm just. I, I thought it was interesting. I'm just asking. You know, if, don't feel you need to respond to that because I, I don't yeah. know what it means. I mean, I do think like some parents groups have gone too far and are banning things that we're well, not. They're not even banning things. The I'm just thinking about the mouse example. Um, yeah, I read about that. that. I read <laughs> and and what I found, and I did tweet actually about that with, last week because like mm -hmm. what I found remarkable is that they banned mouse um, because of its profanity, its portrayal uh, uh, of suicide, and of of kind of um, yeah that side of but thing. But yeah, I'm not defending their I'm not defending their decision to get rid of mouse, but they didn't ban mouse. They took it off the curriculum. And have yet to replace it with something else. And I had a short conversation with somebody online about this. Um, but the reason the reason they took it off was because of profanity mm -hmm. and ideation of suicide and, mm -hmm. and a few other things that I can't remember. And I just found that quite a stark contrast to the gun laws in that particular state that allow people to carry around assault rifles. And I wondered whether there was a strange kind of thing there between, uh, you know, banning something because it it was it was inappropriate Violent. for children and the gun laws in mm -hmm. that 
particular state. So let me see if I can summarize what I was going to say without sticking my foot in my mouth. Um, we cannot treat every event of curriculum modification as banning. You know, uh, there is a big difference difference in censorship between um, a government banning a book or saying this is what can or cannot be printed. But from that compared to a major international tech company deciding this or can or cannot be on our platform versus a local school saying we do or do not want this in our library or in this case we want this book on our curriculum or we want something else on our curriculum those are not all the same thing um you know uh, the problem with that story is they didn't have something else that they wanted to put on their curriculum you know there's only so much time in a year you can only read maybe eight books with a class in a year i'd say that's a fair number right um and if you read one that means you can't read another like i don't read mouse with my students because i'm reading frederick douglas and romeo and juliet and a number of other books if i were to teach about world war ii i'd probably choose anne frank over mouse just because it's a, a more historically significant book at this point and a little more text heavy if that school or that that um board meeting if they'd had a follow-up book if they had said hey we don't want to read mouse can we read the diary of anne frank instead that's a very different conversation and i if they replace it with nothing or if they replace it with something dumb then i'll come out and condemn it but i don't know it's halfway across this half the way across the country it's not necessarily my business what they want to necessarily include on the curriculum and I don't think we're going to have a productive conversation if we were calling a local school board deciding what few books they want to read if we're calling that censorship that's just an unhealthy or an unhelpful framing i don't know i would read i would read i could see myself reading mouse with eighth graders um but it's just the the way it has been framed in social media is so unhelpful and again it's like i don't even agree with the school board's decision necessarily but like we're, we're really going to call that censorship i don't know i don't think that's censorship that's not banning the kids can still go read it they can all right i'm done ranting yeah so i mean what's what's the plan now how are you what are you going to do without social media for chalkboard review how are you going to carry on the website you're going to carry on publishing articles what's your have you had a meeting about it yet together what's your kind of like reaction as a group what are you going to well do? we got we right before uh we started this call we got our account back um so chalkboard's account is back and we got an email from twitter that just said uh whoops sorry you weren't in violation of any of our rules and that was about it um and do you think the other accounts will come back then i would hope so because who's the one who's the one that you've tweeted out quite a few times not just you but other people is it go go going godward she's an she likes to she's anonymous um, all right okay and she tweets about her faith and parenting and that's about it um so but she, she's not part of chalkboard review no, she she is, and she a contributor. Um, she no, she helps run our uh, social media mostly. She, I mean, when articles are ready, she gets it set up on the website. She sets up the picture. She links all the stuff internally, and then is in charge of just scheduling it to post on social media. So she has a role that 
chalkboard review and it seems like the people who are logged onto chalkboard reviews account alongside theirs are the ones who got uh oh, suspended so people think i like anonymously tweet from chalkboard review all the time but i don't we have a team for that we have people that um publish the articles at this point yeah. Yeah. uh so i wasn't logged onto the account and i'm not anonymous so i think that's why my account didn't go to interesting well listen daniel i wish you all the best and uh yeah keep 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 writing what you want thinking what you want saying what you want. <laughs> i appreciate it we don't have to agree but i enjoy we don't we don't have to agree than... and uh it's good it's good to uh good to be challenged uh, yeah i think so uh yeah thanks for coming on thanks yeah for thanks for having it and uh if anyone wants to tweet their views or say what they think then feel free to do so at, at tt radio 2022 which is our twitter account and obviously there'll be a, mostly people probably in the uk the uk education sphere watching this mm -hmm. listening to this so if you do have a view on it then uh tweet us in and we'll pass it on to daniel and then daniel can maybe chip in his thoughts on it mm -hmm. all right so thanks daniel and uh take care yeah you too bye This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.weatherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Introducing Uplearn. Uplearn is an online curriculum learning resource for A-levels that improves student outcomes whilst reducing teacher workloads. Teachers use Uplearn to facilitate independent learning and consolidation of classroom material. Over 150 schools have seen great improvements with Uplearn, including St Paul's Girls School, Michaela Community School and ARC Schools. Book a demo at uplearn.co.uk and quote TTR for 10% off. That's uplearn, U-P-L-E-A-R-N.co.uk. Whatever learning looks like this year, bring lessons to life with Nearpod. An exciting new addition to the Renaissance family, Nearpod offers real-time insights into student understanding through interactive lessons and videos, gamification and activities, all in a single, easy-to-use platform. To help kickstart the new year, we're offering all primary and secondary schools in the UK and Ireland full free access to Nearpod for the whole spring term. So, no matter what 2022 brings, Nearpod makes switching between in-class and remote teaching simple. Visit www.renlearn.co.uk forward slash Nearpod and sign up for your free trial today. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common, a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are Witherslack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.witherslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers 
and be part of our future. Right, everyone. I'm now joined by Chris Stewart. Um, and I came across Chris uh, yesterday when, or two days ago even, uh, during the whole palaver about uh, Chalkball Review being, uh, their account being suspended and so forth. So, Chris, I know you replied to a tweet by Daniel Book, um, and then there was lots of replies to your reply. So I wondered maybe, first of all, before we get into that, uh, maybe you could just introduce yourself and tell our listeners a little about, bit about you and your background and, and what you're doing now. Uh, so my name is Chris Stewart. I'm online on Twitter known as Citizen Stewart. I tweet pretty heavily daily on education issues with a very particular a point of view that's unique to myself, I think. Uh, and I give everybody something to hate, <laughs> possibly everybody something to love. Also a libertarian and um, um, believe very firmly that my goal is to make sure that we get educational opportunities for every kid, no matter where they are and how they want to learn. Uh, I believe in learning in peace. And uh, even though sometimes I feel like we have to choose violence to make that happen. Um, you know, I don't know much more to tell you about that, except to say that we are seeing a lot of education issues pop up that are not related to making sure that kids uh, get a good education. They're more related to the politics of education. So online and social media, these things become many dramas sometimes that have nothing to do with making sure that kids get uh, great instruction, great curriculum, great you know opportunities to learn. They just are about the adult politics of things. And I'm pretty bored with it. I think it's... Uh, bit of a, a big distraction. Yeah. Um, interesting. I mean, I, I just picked up on there what you said about um, uh, peace and violence. And I wondered what if you could maybe go into that a little bit more in terms of you said that you wanted something like you wanted a peaceful education system, but um, violent. I, I don't know. Maybe you can clarify that. <laughs> I, I didn't understand it. Yeah. So you're going to have to go back to that. So I want to know what you mean. Well, and I wonder how much of this is going to have trouble in translation just because we're talking about two very different cultures. Uh, um, America, I think, has a very kind of combative uh, culture in some ways, even though uh, we want to be the peaceful giant. And I don't know how that translates other other places. But I mean, when you think about education, what could be more peaceful than thinking about how children develop over time and whether or not we're putting all the right things in their path so that they can grow to be who they were intended to be and you know all the like the, the those are more the warm and fuzzies of education it's you know kids how could you not uh um, feel like that is is somehow endearing and, and be sympathetic to that part of education but when it comes to the politics it gets really nasty very dirty and it's because of all the money that moves around in education in the united states uh, creates interest groups who go to war with each other and they do really nasty things and say nasty things about each other and a lot of it ends up on social media and if you were a person who was just thinking what does this have to do with education you would be right it doesn't have a lot to do with education it has to do with the business the money the the policies and the politics and partisanship I don't know how that plays out like where you are but it gets very nasty uh, and dirty and people accuse each other of really awful things when they disagree on educational policy. Interestingly enough, Chalkball Review got their account suspended. They, they, I mean, they've said they don't know why. Um, so I'm going to ask you the same question. Have you any idea why Chalkball Review got their account suspended by Twitter? I don't know anything more than they know about why they got suspended. I think that um, 
what they did was raise a lot of suspicion that it had something to do with the conspiracy though, which I think is, it was their first wrong thing to do. Um, without was, knowing, you know, without saying, they created kind of public alarm that there was a conspiracy afoot. A conspiracy of what? And, and in what sense? Well, in the sense that they uh, believed that uh, the teachers unions uh, had somehow sent uh, a letter or sent uh, messages to Twitter to have their little lonely account <laughs> out of all the accounts on Twitter uh, uh, blacklisted somehow and, and it caused them to, to take down or suspend the account. Do you, why do you think that they thought or think that the union has been involved in this? And what, what are the issues that some people have? So I've read things, for example, on Fox News where they've said that, that, that uh, chalkboard review are anti the teaching of or the uh, or the embedding of critical race theory into curriculum and that is why Twitter potentially chose to suspend them or that is linked to the idea that Twitter has suspended them and I know that your response to them or, or, or sorry Mr Daniel Book posted a tweet saying, right, we've been suspended. We're not sure why we haven't done anything wrong. We, you know, we are, um, uh, we're looking for ideological uh, diversity, uh, diversity of thought and so on. Now your reply was dishonesty. There are millions of conservatives pushing conservative content on Twitter. Stop pretending to be a victim. What specifically caused the suspension of the account? Don't treating your views as if they're intellectually incapable and be specific. It's really shocking to see self-described libertarians support. And I want to ask you about this because I didn't know what these things meant. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to ask mm -hmm. you, you're going to try and explain. Uh, it's really shocking to see self-described libertarians support top-down speech codes, memory laws, and citizen snitch hotlines to thwart the local control of schools. Mm. don't be too hard on yourself racism is a hell of a drug jay um <laughs> now now some of the replies to that for example you've had quite a bit of a bit of a battering off a few people on there a few people yeah. have said that's completely inappropriate and so on i mean do you stand by those comments of course i do okay it's a bit absurd there's so many you, those are multiple tweets just for your listeners though those are multiple different tweets just so that they know i'm that gonna i'm gonna put a long point chris you know? for, for a yeah. public service i'm gonna put those tweets <laughs> up on screen embedded into this yeah. video so then people can people can see them as well okay let's start with uh because presumably when you when you talk of self-described libertarians you are talking as one example about the people who who run shortboard review presumably yeah, I don't know if they're exactly libertarians as much as they are cultural conservatives. Uh, and I think there's a war to be had between cultural conservatives and libertarians. Libertarians actually do believe in free markets, free government. Uh, they believe that Twitter is a free enterprise that should be able to decide who and uh, who violates their communities or not. Cultural conservatives believe that they have an entitled right to push one cultural point of view, and it's an old point of view, and everybody that disagrees with their old kind of take on, on the culture and what's culturally best is somehow to be defeated. Um, libertarians like a free marketplace of ideas. We want lots of different people. So as much as Chalkboard Review would say that they're, they're looking for a heterodox uh, intellectual diversity type of community, they're not. They're pushing like one cultural conservative point of view and running with it uh, and to the exclusion of all others. 
So it's a little bit of false advertising, a bit absurd. They also don't like when people claim to be victims of race and racism and censorship on the left and in other sides, but they're happily happy to run to that uh, that kind of victim claim when it comes to them. They had their account suspended. There's probably a good reason for it. They don't know what the reason was for, but they ran right quick. They ran to the, the language of victimization and censorship. Censorship is about governments censoring you, not about free enterprises like Twitter deciding what their community values are and seeing whether or not you, you meet those. And by the way, what I said in the first tweet to them is true. There are millions of conservatives on Twitter uh, postulating the most ridiculous things on Twitter every day who don't have their accounts suspended. So the idea that because your one little lonely account got suspended, brush it off, buttercup, stand up, brush it off and uh, get to the bottom of it. Get your th stop rolling in the in the lovely victimization of yourself. Get your account back online, which it is now and move on with your business. That to me seems the adult thing to do. Would you argue, though, that because Twitter is such a huge platform where there are a huge number of people on it, that even though, yes, they are a business and yes, they are a, a, a you know, an enterprise and they have a right to, uh, to kind of, I guess, manage their own content, they also have a responsibility due to the sheer number of people on the platform to offer as many different points of view as possible. And, and therefore, kind of to, to, to allow, if you like, um, within obviously certain boundaries, because everything needs, needs a, a line. But I think what Mr. Buck was arguing was that actually Chalkboard Review, by criticizing critical race theory, for example, hadn't really crossed a line of free speech. They hadn't you know, crossed any kind of line to say, well, they warrant a, an account suspension. I can't speak for him, but that seemed to be what he was saying when I spoke to him. Yeah, I think he, uh, again, he's representing conservatives, not libertarians. Libertarians don't believe that free speech means that you, number one, have consequence free speech. And number two, just because you have free speech doesn't mean you get to come into my house and have your free speech. It's my house. Uh, if you believe in free enterprise and you believe in free business and free markets, Twitter is a, a free enterprise. And I heard what you just said. Well, just by the sheer number of customers that they have, shouldn't they have to do X well, that depends on whether you're talking to a liberal conservative or a libertarian, right? A, a conservative who gets his account shut down at Twitter and becomes a massive victim suddenly stops believing in free market values and free enterprise. So no, they, they probably would agree that, that Twitter has a responsibility, that they're entitled to have a Twitter account. In the United States, I don't know what it's like anywhere else. In the United States, there is no constitutional right to a Twitter account, right? So uh, I, I would I would encourage my friends to think about the slippery slippery slope that they're trying to claim there. Let's move on to, to, the, to the tweet that you put out then. Let's start with speech codes. Can you kind of expand on that in terms of what you mean? Because you've said it's shocking to see self-described libertarians, i.e. job or review, support top-down speech codes. What does yeah. that mean? Well, let's just start at the very beginning with CRT as a animating force right now. The idea that we need to stop CRT in the schools, um, first of all, is a fabricated, phony campaign started within conservative uh, uh, philanthropies within the United States who have a very particular point of view to push. And they have lied to the public about the extent to which 
real actual uh, critical race theory is in our schools. And they have used that as a Trojan horse to pass laws that do very bizarre anti-conservative things and anti-libertarian things, such as creating a speech code in the way that I consider it to be a speech code. The literal constitution or the, the, the bills now that they are passing in states literally say you can't tell a story about the United States that includes these things. So it's creating the ways in which teachers can talk about the country and the ways in which they can't. You can't say anything around this, the country having an inherently racist foundation. We actually have a legislature in uh, Wisconsin, for instance, that has a list of words in a bill that they are outlawing. You cannot use these words in schools. You can't say these things. On that list are things like social justice, right? <laughs> Can you imagine being an educator who has this list of words now that you can't even say, or else you could lose your license to teach, the ability to even be in the classroom? So those to me are speech codes, they're gag orders on educators. Uh, it's having an impact on what books they can use, what, what lessons they can teach, what words they can say. Uh, and oh, by the way, the governor of Virginia has set up a hotline that allows parents, when they hear teachers using any or using any of the offensive materials, the divisive concepts, that's what we're outlawing. We're outlawing divisive concepts, right? Um, that you can use the hotline as a parent to call and rat out your teacher to the government. And that teacher can have their license removed. And in some cases, some of these bills are requiring that the teacher pay a $10,000 fine and they can't get the money from anyone else. They have to pay it themselves. That's written right into the bills. I can't think of a more anti-libertarian, anti-conservative, pro-authoritarian uh, pathway to start taking than that. Would there be, would, so on the right, I, I'm guessing, and I don't live in the United States and I don't know, I'm not an expert on what goes on over there, but I have a general idea of things. Would it be fair to say that on the right, they would argue that actually, that if uh, they don't follow a unwritten uh, new rule of talking or speaking or thinking, that they would be, they would have a, a, a kind of speech code imposed on them if they didn't buy into the prevailing, as you would say, liberal direction of things. Or do you think yeah. that actually that's not true? And this is about uh, kind of a, a, a right wing conservative establishment dominating the, the, as you call it, the speech codes? Well, just for texture and flavor, the right on the, in the United States is not a monolith. So the, the right in the United States includes libertarians, cultural conservatives, fiscal conservatives, social conservatives, there's a, there's a uh, if you take liberals and the left out of it completely, what you're left with is a right that has many different flavors, some of which promote actual free enterprise, uh, free markets, actual freedom of speech, actual freedom uh, to the right to privacy, amongst others on the right who really believe that the government should be in your bedroom, should be in your wife's womb, should tell you who you can love and who you can who you can marry. There's a difference, right? So I believe the cultural conservatives, yes, would agree with what you just said, that they believe that if they said the wrong thing in a class, you know, maybe about God or about something, that there could be um, there could be consequences. What I would say to that, the quick reply to that is, 
the consequences that they are talking about of being shunned in some sort of way or getting some some form of backlash from the people that they're serving is far different than writing it into law and creating criminal penalties from the state level, right? Like there's a difference between social pressure and the state literally telling you, you can't say certain words, you can't use certain books, you can't teach certain lessons. So the magnitude of consequence that they are talking about for what they might receive versus what they are in, uh, imparting on people right now. Totally different magnitudes of, of impact when the state does it versus just social uh, pressure from your colleagues or your friends or people around you. Uh, in terms of, you then moved on because you said um, they support top-down speech codes and then you said memory laws. Yeah. Now, I'm interested. I'm interested. I've never, and again, this may be my ignorance. I've never seen that phrase before. So, what what does that mean? So, you know, in the United States, there have been laws at different times, and I think actually this isn't just us. I do believe that there's, uh, you know, uh, other countries that have had to wrangle with their own history have actually decided by law and ways in which how they're going to tell their story and how they're going to remember the past. I feel like Germany and South Africa and other places that went through something fairly traumatic had to decide how they were going to tell their national story and how they were going to remember it and how they weren't going to allow the memory to, um, uh, to be mistold in some way, shape or form. In the United States, um, we had something called the lost cause after slavery, uh, after reconstruction and all that, there were people who literally got together and tried to uh, codify a pro-Confederacy um, set of, of uh, stories that would become the national story of how we think about slavery. And that was our memory, that was our national memory. The laws put in place behind that actually were, were termed memory laws. How will we remember these kind of dark parts of our history? Uh, and I think the modern version of that now is when you have laws that are being passed that say, thou shalt not talk about the founding of the United States as anything other than exceptional, uh, as anything other than um, um, triumphant. Uh, laws that specifically say you can't say that it was found, the country was founded in racism. That to me is a combination of both speech and memory laws. You're creating one national story by law telling your educators and people in, in government that they can only use one version of history. Uh, it's, it's dangerous, it's just dangerous. And again, let me keep saying, it's anti-conservative uh, thought and it's anti-libertarian uh, uh, thought. Um, this is not anything that anybody on the right should support. And do you think that the uh, chalkboard review support that? Um, I don't know enough to say uh, definitively that I think they're, uh, that they support everything that I just said in the way that I say it. I just will say this, they're more than happy to play their part in kind of keeping all the focus on this phony war against CRT and not paying any attention that people on their side of the fence are literally, literally writing and passing legislation right now that deeply, deeply constricts what we can say, what we can teach, what books we can use, which is completely anti-conservative and anti-libertarian. And the only reason, this is why I say racism is a hell of a drug. The only reason for anybody on the right to support any things, uh, any of these pieces of legislation that I'm talking about is because they are so enamored with the, the racial politics and playing the white side of the racial politics that they're willing to throw out 
all of their convictions around these other things pertaining to state power, freedom of speech, uh, freedom of, of thought in classrooms, academic freedom. They're willing to throw all of that away because they are so intoxicated by the racial politics of these things. The final thing that you said was citizen snitch hotlines. Now that interests me a lot. What does that mm -hmm. mean? That means that you in, in Virginia have a governor who set up a hotline so that parents, if they hear an offensive thing from a teacher, if a teacher teaches anything that are considered by law by, the, by, by 1984 Big Brother to be divisive concepts, that they can pick up the phone and rat out their, their citizen, their fellow uh, 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 teacher or parent or anybody in any school to the government. And the government can then take action on shutting that person up. I mean, in Britain, um, I know that that we, we currently have a conservative government in in uh, in office, and one of the things that they have said, or the equalities minister that the government has said, is that teaching students that um, white privilege is is a fact is illegal. Mm -hmm. you know, they have mm -hmm. said that in Parliament. Now, even though we certainly don't have hotlines or snitch lines citizen snitch lines as you call it we definitely we definitely don't have that however would would you say that that was fair would i mean would you say that the concept of white privilege is one of these things that's divisive and therefore you know shouldn't be taught or are you saying that should be taught as fact or are you saying that yes it should be taught but not as fact but as a concept alongside other concepts I think the last part of what you just said is what education actually is. Education actually is, is engaging in a world of popular ideas and unpopular ideas and uh, what we know from history, what we know to be a conjecture, what we know to be philosophy, what we know to be fact, um, all kind of wrangled together into what we call education. So I don't know about anybody else. I don't want my kids sitting in a classroom where the government has determined that thou shalt not be able to touch on these things because some authoritarian uh, partisan force has taken over the government of everyone. Conservatives aren't the only people in their country. Liberals aren't the only people in their country. Libertarians aren't the only people in their country. So if you can take over the government apparatus that serves everyone and start saying, we don't wanna hear any more about slavery or we don't wanna be taught that white privilege is a thing. Listen, we have, research in the United States that is factual and and uh, it is just empirically true in the United States there that there are benefits to white skin. It is not a uh, it's not conjecture. It's not uh, uh, it's not understudied. We have the, the ability to investigate our systems and see in everything from law and commerce and the way that you buy houses. Uh, the way that you are punished in courtrooms for the same offenses. We have so many uh, data sets that tell us that there are clear benefits to being to having white skin. If someone wants to take over the government to say that you can't even talk about that anymore or teach it anymore, I'm suspicious of their reasons for wanting young people to not engage with the world of research that tells them something so empirically true. It was a reply to to your tweet from PA geologist um, who said so so when you'd said what we've what we've just discussed mm -hmm. he said because they're not libertarians they are actually progressives the interview and that was the interview 
with uh, Chris Stewart. Uh, I've just cut him off the last minute, but essentially that was that was the interview. And um, I just found it so interesting to hear what he had to say in response to Daniel Book. And, and just in case anyone's joining me now, essentially, if you want to listen back to the show, it was centred on this issue where about three or four days ago, an account called Chalkboard Review, which essentially is a right-wing, well, I mean, predominantly right-wing, um, or certainly centre-right, right-wing, magazine for educators was suspended from Twitter. And following that suspension, the guys from Chalkboard Review all went on Twitter and said, we've been suspended, we don't know why. And uh, Mr. Daniel Book is the editor-in-chief, so he was the first speaker. And then obviously we've heard from Chris Stewart, who responded to one of Daniel Book's tweets, and that was his kind of reply. He, He was basically saying, well, you know, I think we know why they've been suspended. So it was interesting to hear those two points of view and how much... I'm going to say division that can be in education, particularly from the outside looking in, from Britain looking into the US. It's it's a really interesting one just to look across there and see what's going on, you know, and what's happening there. Uh, I'm now joined, hopefully, by Rose. Rose, good evening. Hi, Tom. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? Um, yeah, I'm okay, thank you. Uh, how are you? Good. Not too bad. Not too bad. Well, thank you very much for joining me because I know you've had a very busy day. Um, so thank you very much for, for taking the time out uh, to to actually talk to us today. Much appreciated. Um, the reason I've asked you on to the show this evening is centred on your, um, your YouTube channel. Uh, but before we actually get on to that, I thought maybe you could just outline for me, first of all, how you got into teaching. Where did that all start from? Because you're a primary school teacher now. So I wondered where that kind of journey happened and how you got there. And by the way, if anybody wants to put a comment in the chat or on Twitter while we're, while we're doing this interview, feel free. If you're listening back, you can still tweet us. We'll, we'll come on to that later. So Rose, take it away. Um, so I did my work experience in a primary school. I think I worked with a year four class um, when I was 15. And I just saw the kind of, respect that those teachers that I managed to watch um, had from their pupils and the difference that they were making and I spent two weeks in a school and I just really wanted to make a difference so I knew that eventually when I left school if I went to university wherever my path was it would involve education Um, so I did in the end yeah I I went to university and um, learned how to become a teacher and I'm you know I'm in my sixth year now of primary school and I've taught every year in key stage two um learned quite a lot um but yeah so that's my relationship with um education and teaching really yeah and you know let's I'll be honest with you I'm a secondary school teacher I I look at primary school teachers in awe because I couldn't deal with it I think I'd just be uh, sir, I've got snot in my nose. Can you wipe it for me? No, no, I can't. I, I can't do it. I'd be like Arnold Schwarzenegger in Kindergarten Cop. I don't know if you've seen that. Leave me alone! You know, I can't do his German accent, but you get my point. Um, I'd be like in the middle and that would be it. I'd be, you know, I'd be trampled on by the kids kind of thing. Um, yeah. So I, I've got a lot of, and having taught all the different key stages, that's a hell of an experience across those six years. It really, really is. Um, I wondered for you as a primary school teacher, what is the best part of the job what's the thing you enjoy the most about that job 
I think at the age that you can get the children and when they arrive, you know, they just like currently I'm in uh, upper key stage two. So just before they go off to secondary school, I think the best thing is seeing their maturity levels grow and you see children who, you know, end of year five, still a little bit immature, you know, still a little Mm. bit reliant on you and dependent. (laughs) And then now going into, you know, spring to summer, thinking, okay, I think most most of you are ready for secondary school and what, you know, your next adventure in education for yourselves. And so I think that's been quite rewarding this year. But just in general, I do think that the school that I work at, we have such a broad curriculum. So, mm. yeah, there's the emphasis on English, math, science, but we do really put emphasis into computing and and history and the kids absolutely love it they love history and like we'll plan a half an hour to 45 minute session but it goes on for two hours because they have so many questions and I think that is the still the best part for me about you know quite a few years in now working in education is just that thirst for knowledge that I believe every child has and you know if you tap into it that that for me is uh, the best thing fantastic and is it is, i mean whereabouts is it in london that you teach i'm pretty sure i've got a vague memory uh, yes of in, a, yeah. in a london yeah yeah in a london so you know one of the comments here and we'll come on to this now is is um seamers texted in and said it's amazing how you have time for a side hustle rose with a clap emoji and i can only <laughs> uh, after you, what you've just said in a city school six years full-time primary school teacher also runs a very very successful youtube channel so let's talk about that for a bit um I, I was, and we're going to talk about the response, some of the responses you've had to your YouTube channel as well. So let's start from the beginning. What is the YouTube channel? Introduce us all to it. Uh, so the YouTube channel is called Everton Rose, and I'm a football fan, have been since I was a kid, and Everton are my team. Uh, unfortunately, we could say, but no, um, <laughs> Everton are my team, and. I wasn't really happy with how the football club was being run, the results on the pitch mm-hmm. three years Join ago the club. now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, three, four years ago. And I just thought, I started a blog, you know, so I started writing, but it yeah. didn't really take off. There were a few readers and I thought, well, actually, I'm a teacher. You know, public speaking is not new to me. So put a video out there, got a few hits, maybe... 20, 30 to, you know, and then it's gradually, I think with YouTube, the key thing is, is just regular, short Mm. content. I think, you know, personally for me, I think I don't like to make my videos more than 10 minutes because I don't have enough time in the day to Mm. talk about Everton for too long. Um, But yeah, that was, that's where it came from really, was it seeing that not really happy with Everton, I'm moaning about it. Why don't I just film myself, moan about it, and see if anyone connects with it? And you know, three years on, it's it's going all right. So, so yeah. presumably, when you when you first set up the channel, you started with zero subscribers. So, how many subscribers have you got now? Uh, I think almost about five thousand. I think yeah, four thousand yeah. something. Uh, I, mean, I was yeah. looking the other day, and I was like, that is a lot of subscribers. You know, because it is hard to get subscribers on on YouTube. It is difficult to to build a subscriber base. It's not like other networks, I don't know, like Instagram or something, is probably a bit easier. YouTube is really difficult because you've got so much um, 
not just competition for the content, but also people have kind of got to click subscribe and it's not necessarily in the center of their mind. So to have 5,000, that's, that's huge. And, and every single one of your videos now, you know, is getting, you know, hundreds, sometimes even thousands of views. Um, yeah. You know, and I, I think there's one of them on there with like 10,000, 20,000, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but there's, a, so. you know, some of your videos have had huge numbers of that. Now, my question is, what's the secret? How have you built this successful channel? Because you've, you've said they're the logistics of it. Yeah, I started doing consistent videos. Okay, why do you think people have been drawn into your channel above maybe other channels? Because there must be a ton of Everton channels out there and football channels in general. Yeah, there are was, there was so many good ones uh, even regarding Everton. But I think a different voice maybe mm. um mm. yeah you know, so i think my demographic of viewers are international don't i don't because even though i live in the uk i don't really get to go to the game that often mm. you know working mm. full time you just want to rest sometimes you know, yeah. i don't want to yeah, 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 four yeah. hour trip up north and then back, back yeah. down of you course. know I, so i you know i go to a game in london you know when i can and and you know like an away game but, you know in the home end of <laughs> whichever team that we're playing <laughs> So I yeah. tend to do that, but yeah, so I, I don't tend to go up. So I think for me, I mean, I the majority of my viewers, my demographic is still male, which is expected because, you know, it's football. But I do get the international viewers. You know, I have a lot of viewers in the US and in Australia, you know, and, and just all around the world. So I think also it, I just say what I think. You know, it's not always the popular opinion. It's not always mm. the most edgy, mm. out there thing. I just say what I think and... You know, I love when people disagree and say, oh, no, Rose, this player is good or that player is good. <laughs> you know, you, you don't know what you're talking about here. I like that. Like, I like that debate. I mean, I think it's important. So I think it's like any podcast or any, you know, channel about any topic. It just creates discussion because it's always topical. You know, the manager changes, a player comes in. It's like it never stays still. And I think yeah, that yeah. is why football YouTube is such a growth industry itself because things just will always change and there'll always be news and there'll always be the next thing. Um, yeah. So I think that's probably part of it. Now, as a side hustle kind of thing, because I know the, the, there's lots of teachers that I know who've got YouTube channels, not necessarily football YouTube channels, but they've got maybe teaching YouTube channels or cooking YouTube channels or whatever, <laughs> right? They've got loads of different things. So my question is, 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 is there a monetary value? Is, is this possible for it to become a bit of a side hustle and and do you think that you can do this full time at some point in life <laughs> <laughs> i think with the team that i support <laughs> no oh well unless you know things change how dare drastically you rose how dare you how dare you um because i do i see kind of you know sometimes you look at competitors but but you know similar channels of other teams and they have 10 times and they've been around the same kind of time and they do similar content, but they support, you know, one of the teams that are just supported globally mm. and there's thousands more fans, thousands more fans to, to mm. tap into and access. Full time, it would take a lot. It would, it would take, I think, I would be have, to, have to be doing content every day. I would have to be yeah. um, advertising on other platforms, you know, for support and payments and things. And I think... Mm. Just right now, being a full-time teacher, um, no, I'm not. I, I don't see it going uh, to be full-time. But as a side hustle, it's doing okay. You know, it's uh, 
it's just well i was going to say because you've got you've got fans haven't you in inverted commas you've got people who who pay to be a part of the channel or to get exclusive content or whatever or to be just to be fans actually of you just to be fans yeah yeah. they they just want your attention rose from what i can see (laughs) that's what they want and they pay for it it's brilliant um but i was going to say that that i've also seen you tweet about the the dark side of it if you like which has been maybe that sexism which is certainly still uh, you know there isn't it in football and and you know and um and perhaps also i've seen comments about the fact that you don't live in liverpool or that you you haven't got a scouse accent or you don't go to enough games or just 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 stuff right but i wondered on the issue of, of of the sexism in particular i mean presumably you probably know more than a lot of these lads do about Everton from what I can see. <laughs> well, I'd like to think so. Yeah, and I think that's the thing that um, maybe the teaching in the YouTube links in is that for both things, you have to have a very thick skin. You know, I don't need to tell your listeners that. Um, mm, and I think yeah. being a teacher actually before going into YouTube did help me, you know, yeah, remembering, yeah, okay, yeah. it's words on a screen and they're doing it for attention and, you know, I've um, you deal with that all the time at school, you know, kind of attention-seeking behaviour. So yeah. when adults are doing it, I feel I actually had a nice um, message from someone, you know, that I don't, that I don't know um, that just watches the channel and they said, these people that write this, they're not doing more than you. You know, they won't have a, a channel that's got 10,000 subscribers or they won't have a podcast that's really listened to about Everton and really popular because if they did, they wouldn't be commenting on yours saying, why is she doing this? Why, you know, because <laughs> I think it, it always just stems from a place of either jealousy or just plain sexism. Yeah. But I, I, I don't know. I tend to think that it's, you know, maybe jealousy. I, you know, mm. why she got that amount of followers. Yeah. She hasn't got, she's not from Liverpool. You know, she's not, she doesn't have a season ticket. You know, just and just the normal Everton story. Yeah, so I think you just got to tune it out and just what, keep what is, out I mean, the videos. When did, really. when did you get into football? How did you get so into it? When did that um, all start? Because you must be well into football to have done all this that you've done now. Um, my dad took me from the age of like two. So he's Coventry, born, right. lived there, the whole, the whole yeah thing. So Coventry are like my hometown team. Yeah, but I was born in Liverpool, so you know, not that you'd know from the accent or the videos, but um, yeah, so I was born in Liverpool. My dad took me from the age of two to watch Coventry uh, every other week. Yeah, so unlucky, right? From yeah, no, really unlucky. I think I watched two <laughs> or three relegations, and you know. <laughs> well, Rose, I've got to tell you, my dad took me and my brother um, when we were. I think we must have been five or six seven it was it was the my earliest memory actually it was our first ever game that we went to in person and guess where it was rose that he took us highfield road no no it's local it? to it's local to to liverpool is it a true question <laughs> yeah. no it's actually genuinely not it's a it's a true question where my dad took me and my brother for our first game so he was almost trying to I guess, open us up to supporting this team. Is it Anfield? Yeah, that's the one. Uh. <laughs> and uh, so he, he took us to, to Liverpool. And I think he took us at least to one game. And he's a diehard Everton fan, right? 
So I don't understand how he did that. I haven't actually asked him that. I don't know how he brought himself to do that. But I think in his head, he was thinking, well, you know, I want them to experience success as fans. <laughs> so, so anyway, my brother then veered off away from Liverpool and went to Man U, as right. you do, when, when you're, you know, seven or eight or whatever. He just wanted the success. So he was well into Man U. And then obviously I went off to towards Everton. I'm not sure why. I think one of my mates was an Everton fan, so then... I, I was like, no, I want to support Everton. I don't know. I don't even know why I went to Everton, but I did go to Everton, kind of, you know, six, seven years old or whatever it was. Um, and I think I went to the first, the first Everton game that I went to was um, where Duncan Ferguson scored the winner in the 1 0 win over Man United in 1995, right. where he took his shirt off. You know the one. Um, so that was the first <laughs> game that I went to. What was your first game? You must have been to a few games. What, what was your first ever Everton game? First, oh, my first ever Everton game. I just think it's so yeah. um, appropriate. Is so my obviously my my dad was and still is Coventry. Yeah, he signed me up to be a mascot for Coventry. Yeah, um, in two thousand. And what was the game? Oh, where do you think? Oh, where do you think? Where do you think? I, it, it, it was like random Anfield. out of the hat. Anfield, Liverpool. No, close by. Everton. <laughs> yeah. So ah. I was the mascot for, and I still got the, you know, the little, I don't know, I've forgotten what they're called, but you know, you get them before the game and they have the fixture lit, they have the fixture on it, the date, um, yeah. this little triangular things you yeah, used to get at the game. thing, yeah. Yeah, so I've got that and it's got, yeah, because um, Everton are really nice with that. They gave me one. They it said uh, Everton versus Coventry. Um, visiting mascot, something, something, 2000. And so, yeah, so I, you know, it may have been Kevin Campbell at that time. I'm not, I'm not sure who was captain yeah. in 2000. I was very young. But, yeah, so that was, like, one of my first games, but that was the most prominent, you know, I was the mascot, I was on the pitch, I saw the little the toffee, uh, the toffees being yeah. thrown out, and I thought it was, it was so appropriate that later on I thought that those two are my teams. So that oh, one's mad. So one. then, So then, like, I so... You then obviously just you've got into football. You've presumably started watching it, sporting Everton, and then obviously you've ended up setting up the YouTube channel, which is now you know five thousand subscribers, and you talk about football a lot, um, which is really really cool. Um, I, I wondered what are your plans there? I mean, what would you? What's your dream? If you were to say, right, what is my dream for this YouTube channel? What is the dream? Uh, I think. I haven't given it too much thought as in terms of like numbers or this or that. I mean, interviewing Kevin Campbell was a good one. Like, so for yes. instance, things of, you know, things that I've managed to do, I think probably interviewing ex-players, um, you know, because I know that quite a few of the podcasts have the um, ability to do that. Mm. I think just the dream is continue to just build a community of Everton yes but just football fans that love the game that want to discuss things again like a mature in a mature way without <laughs> resulting to like personal insult again I think it links to teaching doesn't it you know uh, <laughs> yeah. to, like personal insults and yeah. being able to disagree because I you know I, I think something that I get <sighs> I'm quite open to other fans. So when we have the derby, I will speak, I will go on to Liverpool fan channels and say, mm. I think we're going to hurt you like this. We're going to do this. We're going to win this way. <laughs> other, some of my viewers are just like, oh, 
Rose, why are you interacting with them? Why are you talking to them? Because that's what I'm doing. I want to build a community. And for those two games, we really don't like them. Okay, but they're still football fans. Um, and so I think that is the main thing for me. Just build a community of football fans, just like me and you, yeah. that want to talk yeah. about the game, that arguably yeah. know a little bit more than some of the pundits sitting in Sky and, oh, sorry, other TV channels. Yeah. That's... <laughs> That's, right, you know, right, you don't need to worry about Teachers Talk Radio breaking, you know, licensing okay, rules checking, by mentioning Sky. Checking. Yeah, no one's <laughs> going to sue you in here. Um, but yeah, okay. Well, you know what? Fair play to you because as Seema texted in earlier, to be able to do that and teach full time in a primary school and to build to 5,000 subscribers on the YouTube channel is pretty remarkable. So where can people find you? If they have listened to this as a podcast and they want to get in touch or they want to find out more about your channel and you and, and yeah, maybe they're thinking of setting up a channel. What can they do? Um, so you can find me, so you've searched Everton Rose on YouTube, but in terms of social media, it's uh, Everton underscore underscore Rose and I'm on Twitter and Instagram with both. That Brilliant. Well, listen, thanks very much for giving up your time tonight because I know it's Monday and you're probably absolutely knackered. So uh, I'll speak to you in a bit. And uh, yeah, take care and well done. Keep up the good work. Thank you for having me on. Cheers, Rose. See you later. Bye. That was Rose uh, talking about Everton. I'll be back in two ticks. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Introducing Uplearn. Uplearn is an online curriculum learning resource for A-levels that improves student outcomes whilst reducing teacher workloads. Teachers use Uplearn to facilitate independent learning and consolidation of classroom material. Over 150 schools have seen grade improvements with Uplearn, including St Paul's Girls School, Michaela Community School and ARC Schools. Book a demo at uplearn.co.uk and quote TTR for 10% off. That's Uplearn. U-P-L-E-A-R-N dot co dot U-K. Whatever learning looks like this year, bring lessons to life with Nearpod. An exciting new addition to the Renaissance family, Nearpod offers real-time insights into student understanding through interactive lessons and videos, gamification and activities, all in a single, easy-to-use platform. To help kickstart the new year, we're offering all primary and secondary schools in the UK and Ireland full free access to Nearpod for the whole spring term. So, no matter what 2022 brings, Nearpod makes switching between in-class and remote teaching simple. Visit www.renlearn.co.uk forward slash Nearpod and sign up for your free trial today. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common. A passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, 
and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. According to the Irish National Teachers Organisation, teachers and pupils are getting to the point of burnout due to the additional pressures brought by the coronavirus pandemic. Northern Ireland Committee Chair Marie O'Shea said, Whilst there were closures of buildings in a lot of cases, there was not a closure of schools. I think it's really important that people remember that. Schools and teachers continue to contribute to their young people through period of lockdown and through this pandemic. Denise McCartan, a child psychologist, told the BBC's Sunday Sequence programme, some children will be more resilient because they have managed to cope through a difficult period. They will remember it in that way, that they came through this. For some children, they will definitely have been exposed to more complex situations than you would want them to be exposed to. That will definitely have a long-term impact on them. In Gloucestershire, more than 500 students have attended knife crime prevention workshops over the past three months. The workshops teach young people what constitutes a crime and encourages them to speak out about crime anonymously via the fearless.org website. Crime Stoppers Regional Manager Emily Vanderley said our thoughts are with the friends and family of both Romarney Crosby and Joshua Hall, whose lives were cruelly shortened due to such tragic and unnecessary circumstances. We would like to highlight the prevention work that our charity Fearless has been delivering across the county. Countless young people have attended a workshop and have subsequently chosen to not carry a knife or hang around with someone who may be carrying one. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, it's Safer Internet Week with the official day being on Tuesday the 8th of February. This year, the UK Safer Internet Centre is questioning whether gaming online is all fun and games. They ask young people to explore respect and relationships in online gaming. A lot of schools may be having drop down days and you may be expected to deliver an online safety lesson. This is great, but are you confident in your knowledge? There's nothing worse than having to teach a lesson out of your comfort zone, especially when you're discussing a topic where the learners may know more than the teacher. Saferinternet.org.uk, the brains behind Safer Internet Day, have come to the rescue with a series of films under the heading of Virtual Assemblies on their website. Starting with a story about in-app purchases getting out of hand for 3-7 to seven year olds, and then for 7-11 to 11 and 11-18s to 18s, having a discussion on online behaviour and respect. 
This resource is informative and will allow those of us that are less confident to play the film and facilitate a discussion. As always, if you're going to use an online resource, make sure you've watched it first to make sure it's appropriate for your pupils. For a visual version of this episode, check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Good evening, good evening, good evening, and welcome back to The Late Show on TTR. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. I'm going to give some shout-outs to Miss Sa- Mrs. Saoirse, who is always a regular listener on TTR, so thank you for joining us. Nader, thank you for joining us this evening. been listening all the way through, so thank you very much. You may have gone now, but thank you. Jeff as well, quite a few people in tonight, so thank you very much to everyone for, for listening to the show. Uh, this evening. Um, It's been wonderful. Uh, Just to summarise, in case you've only just joined us now, obviously, possibility is you might be listening back to this as a podcast, but we started off with a debate between Daniel Book and uh, Chris Stewart about the suspension of chalkboard review in the United States, um, which was fantastic. That was in the first hour of the show. And then we've just had a brilliant interview with with Rose, um, who runs the account Everton Rose. she is a primary school teacher and YouTuber. So thank you very much, and I hope you've enjoyed it all. Uh, we've got lots of shows coming up this week on TTR, so go to our website, ttradio.org, check it out. Shows every single day. Lots to look forward to this week. Uh, one that I'm particularly looking forward to from tomorrow is Libby Isaac, who's joined by Stephen Tierney. Uh, that should be an excellent show, which you can watch and listen to uh, tomorrow evening, 8 p.m. on uh, Teachers Talk Radio. So thank you very much for joining in this evening, and I will see you at the same time next week. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.